I'm Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Women in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today is the Ambassador of Mexico to South Africa, Angola, Botswana, Namibia, Malawi, Lesotho, Swaziland, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Madagascar, Mauritius, and Zambia, Ms. Ana Luisa Fahir. She has been a member of the Mexican Foreign Service since 1993. She was promoted to the rank of minister in 2017, and some of her posts have been Deputy Chief of Mission at Mexico's Embassy in the United States, Director General for North America, Director General for Africa and the Middle East, Head of the Consulate in St. Paul, and Advisor on the Foreign Ministry's Advisory Staff. Welcome to the show, Ambassador. Thank you. Thank you, Amalia, for the invitation. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. We know that you're very new in terms of, of coming through to South Africa as, as primary residents, so we wish you all the best in your tenure during your portfolio and, and term of office in South Africa and this broader mix of countries. Absolutely. Thank you so much. To start with, you're no stranger to Africa. Having served as a director for Africa from 1991 to 1998, then as general director for Africa and the Middle East from 2005 to 2008, you did your master's in African studies. You speak Swahili. One could almost say that your new role as ambassador in this bouquet of different countries has been years in the making. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, let me start by sharing with you um, uh, how did I become so passionate about Africa. Yes. Um, I studied, um, I have a BA degree in international relations from the most important university in Mexico, the largest and the largest in Latin America, which is the National University of Mexico. So I was uh, taking different subjects. I was in my last year at the university and I was obliged to take a course about the methodology of international relations in order for me to be ready to write my thesis. So I had to, it, that was a mandatory uh, subject. So I, uh, I, I saw the list of professors and I saw, well, Dr. Fabiana Dono. And I said, well, who is he? And I uh, realized that he was uh, from Benin or Benin. And uh, so I said, well, let's see uh, his program, his proposal. So I became uh, a student of him. And the first day that I got there in, in the class, he said, you know what? You're here. We were just seven students. That's very small. That's very, great. very intimate. small. Very intimate. Very, very, yeah, it was a very small group. And he said, you know what? We are not going to talk anything about methodology. We are going to talk about Africa. And I was like, Africa, really? <laughs> it was really, uh, it, it, was, it was very provocative. And I said, why not? I mean, everybody was involved into Europe, uh, Asia, North America, the U.S., Canada, etc., Japan was the fashion at that time. And I said to myself, well, why not Africa? 
Africa. Nobody is studying Africa. Probably I will have an area of opportunity there and that I can be more competitive, etc. So I said, well, okay. So I fell in love with Africa. And I fell in love with Africa because of the people, basically the people, women, the role of women, how important are women in Africa, and oral history was something that called my attention really, really, I mean, I incredibly. So I, I uh, wrote my thesis. I ended up writing my thesis about South Africa, precisely, about the homelands and Bantustan's policies. So I read every single book and paper that was available uh, at that time, and uh, he was uh, my director, uh, the, the director of of my thesis. So I, I ended up uh, writing this uh, thesis. I have it with me. And then this was in, in 1985. And then I, I started working in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for free because it was like a, an internship. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I knew about a program at El Colegio de Mexico, which is the only um, at that time, it was the only place where you could study uh, or follow a master's degree, get a master's degree in African studies. So I decided, why not? I'm going to go for the master's degree. And I studied for three years Africa, history, politics, economics, culture, everything about Africa for three years. And I ended up writing my thesis about South Africa again about the liberation movement, ideology of the, the liberation movement. So you really so have this is the background. 360. Yes, it, it's incredible. To be here. And actually, in 1991, I was working at, at the Minister of Foreign Affairs because I became a, well, later I became a, a career diplomat in 1993. But before that, I was the head of uh, the African desk. In the first place, I was the director. Then I became director general and then now the ambassador. But before that, in 1991, I had the privilege to meet Madiba. Nelson Mandela was in Mexico in 1991, and I have a big picture with him. And I actually, in my, the presentation of my letters of credence, I showed it to President Ramaphosa, and I actually gave him a copy. He was very uh, emotional, and he was like, I, I, I really feel so privileged, and I'm proud of that picture, and have being able to meet him and to be with him four days looking after him it was really something so it's like uh it's like it was on the making but i was not aware of that i didn't know what was going to happen in my in my career no but it's amazing how the decisions you make what the implications are going ahead in the future and to have been with Madiba as a as a living legend yes, at yes. at the time must have been a phenomenal experience yes it has been really really determining in my in my career and in my life of course no so you're right yes you you kind of make decisions uh, with that orientation but i was not really aware of the decisions mm. that i were that i was making were going to result in being ambassador to South Africa. This is like miraculous. <laughs> and as a career diplomat in this almost three-decade-long journey, besides the, the Africa highlights, what have been some of the significant milestones so far? 
milestones I would say, well, my my career is divided into two. Mm -hmm. The African piece, which is has uh, has I've been involved in African affairs for 12 years. Like th that's uh, th half of my career, and the other half has to do with North American affairs. So it's a uh, it's a very good combination, I would say. And why did I? do that and, and and this is a milestone it's a landmark in my career is because as part of the according to the law of the foreign service uh, every single career diplomat uh, have to uh, have to have an experience in the consular uh, field why because we have 10% of our population living in the United States we have 50-50 consulates in the United States so that's the size of the challenge we have before us so this is why 42% of the career diplomats and uh, workers in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs are involved in North America 42% so this is why I ended up being consul uh, of Mexico to Minnesota, of all places in the world. Minnesota, there are tw 250,000 Mexicans living there. Goodness me. And I, I have the privilege to, to serve my country, to represent my country as a consul. And it was the most amazing experience I've had because that really trains you and gives you um, a vision uh, regarding the needs of the people. And I learned uh, the, the, the needs of women migrants. I met them. I, 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 I listened to them, to their concerns, to their realities. And that's really, really touching, moving. And it's like it, you get committed. Uh, you really realize how much they need the support, your support. Obviously, being a woman, even more, really even more. I, I was really close to them because they are hard workers. The numbers, the, the percentage of women migrants have increased in the last uh, uh, years. It has increased. Before it was majority men and now it's almost the same or probably a little more woman, women uh, mig migrating from Mexico. To, and now the, the rate is zero because uh, that now it's zero or negative. There are Central American women and families and children and unaccompanied minors who are migrating through Mexico to get to the U.S. But that's quite another topic. Yes, I think that's a, that's a story for a different day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but women migrants were um, a, a, a very, I mean, for me, it, it really, they changed my life, I would say. And, and, and my career was really uh, touched by that. Uh, but I, but that uh, fact, no, but it's a real experience. human factor and understanding that the real needs of of people who are not living in their home country but still need to connect, still need to liaise. Exactly, yeah. And I, I that was big part of uh, of 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 our job there. And what uh, one thing that we did uh, at that time uh, was to create a. We called it a window to give integral attention to women. It was, uh, there were products tailor-made for women. So that was really very proactive initiative by a colleague of, of mine, a, a colleague of ours, a woman. And she created this uh, program 
to give attention to women, but specifically in uh, and, and holistic approach mm. uh, toward women. But it, it's really very, very creative and proactive and, and very fortunate that women migrants, Mexican migrants can have that attention in the U.S. in the consulates. And given all of the experience over the years, all of the, the work that you've done with uh, migrant women in particular, what do you think you're going to look at implementing in your role? And I, I almost call you the ambassador of sub-Sahara for, <laughs> for Mexico with all of these, these different countries. Yes. Is there a particular focus, intent that you want to achieve during this tenure? Yes. Well, uh, my, my plan, my working plan is pretty much focused on people-to-people connections. That's, for me, a key thing. And obviously, at the political level, we have uh, a bilateral commission. Mm-hmm. We have the mechanisms. Uh, but people-to-people connections, for me, it's key, and particularly women and young people. I think those are um, very important audiences and very important players in the country. Uh, as we were talking uh, earlier, uh, the media, the average age in Mexico is 26 years old, and uh, and in South Africa should be similar. So uh, there's, a, 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 I think, a lot to do in that regard. Promote and a dialogue. Lot of, a lot of commonalities, I think, in terms of some of the demographies, some of the issues that you've experienced in the North American portfolio that there'll be overlaps here. Absolutely, absolutely. There are commonalities and we can share best practice best practices and to learn from you. We we have a lot to learn from South mm. Africa and from all these countries, their population, their their challenges. There are similar but different as well. They are very particular. And so I want to focus on that. And mainly to take a advantage of my experience at the bilateral level and at the regional level negotiating agreements regarding women that's another thing that i would like to 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 bring uh, that experience to south africa and to my 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 tenure here why because we i worked a lot uh, in um with the us and canada with women entrepreneurs with uh, particularly SMEs, uh, women uh, business owners or or women entrepreneurs, very young women entrepreneurs. So we uh, signed an agreement and uh, it's all about exchanging experiences, learning from each other. And I realized that these kind of things, the agreements you reach with other countries, the agreements you reach at the multilateral level, pushes you, pushes your country, your government to design and set up public policies, uh, public public policies uh, for the benefit of women. So because of this memorandum and because of, for instance, the, uh, the commitment Mexico has acquired uh, regarding CEDAW, the, 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 the Commission on Elimination of All Forms of Dis- Discrimination Against Women. Because of that, Mexico designed the, the National Equity Policy. And the other thing Mexico's government designed as well is, uh, uh, this is a program, and the other thing is the norm 
for uh, equality, labor equality and non-discrimination. These two things, I think, that have been really uh, very innovative. Why? Because now there's an incentive to get their certification, to get their norm, not just in the public sector, but also in the private sector and social sector. If you get that certification, you get points, you get incentives. So this is like a, an affirmative action that is very positive and, you know, give an impulse to, 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 to be equal and to, to really non-discriminating business or uh, government at, at the federal level and also at the local level. And I think that's so important. Some people will argue against quotas or affirmative action, but they provide the opportunity. If you don't have that allocation, you're excluded. And I, I, I recall reading that um, in, in some of the, the work that's happening from a policy point of view in Mexico, when you've instituted this new legislation to try to get the equity of having 50% of candidates that are nominated as, as being female, is that there were some men who were trying to claim that they were transgender exactly. to be brought in as a, as a female yes, group. Yes, exactly. So people are always looking for loopholes exactly. to, to work it. That's incredible. But finally, and this is historic, in this election we reached parity. And this is really outstanding. And this is the result of the commitment yeah. of Mexico at the multilateral level. Because this um, um, the, 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 uh, parity in the Congress, now we have parity in the Congress, both in the Chamber of Representatives and in the Senate, mm -hmm. this is a part of the re political and electoral reform. This is part of it. And if you think about in 1955 women were granted the right to vote in 1955. So it's not, I mean, though, that many years that this happened and now we have parity. This is really historic. And, and also what I, I, I you know, I, I liken and I look at this is that the, the legislation you mentioned passed in 2014. Yes. Which is only four years. Exactly. And it takes time to build that. And now you can really see the, the benefits and the positive impact by having 50-50 exactly. in this political status. Exactly, exactly. One of the other questions um, that I'd like to ask you, and, and this relates to, to the empowerment and participation of women in the labor force, and, and frequently, you know, we always talk about having greater diversity, whether that's uh, across gender, across age, sexual orientation, etc., of being more enriching. But what I've found in private sector is that women still tend to be underpaid in comparison to men earning on average 23% less. They work in lower-ranking roles, and they tend to be overrepresented in unskilled labor force. Mm -hmm. Could you give us a view of what it's like in the Mexican labor force, how women yes. feature? We have uh, pretty much the same challenges, the same situation that you are describing. And actually, uh, as part of OECD, we are um, a country a member of uh, OECD, uh, we are among the the less developed uh, country in terms of the participation of women in the in the workforce. There's 47 percent of uh, women of the of working age that are part of the working of, of the workforce, and if you compare compare this 47 percent 
with 67%, which is the average in the OACV, it's really low. We have a challenge there. Uh, together with Turkey and Greece, we are the three countries with uh, less participation of women. So this is a challenge. We have to really accelerate the incorporation of women into the workforce. The other thing, and that you're absolutely right, is uh, the participation of women in top management roles we don't have that it's like a, it's it's very it's very few it's very scarce like 14.6 firms in mexico it's it's uh, just 14.6 uh, percent of firms they have women participation in top management roles so this is really it's uh, we we have to do a better job in that regard and just part of this is also attributed to the fact that quite often women and especially if we look 1955 being the year where women were able to vote in Mexico that this is also attributed to the fact that women still have to manage the home environment exactly. and if they wanted to go into the workforce this uh, division of labor doesn't doesn't go away the family right. still has to be attended to absolutely yes this is a challenge absolutely uh, i would say motherhood is a challenge um It's teens, a penalty sometimes. Yes, exactly. Teens, uh, pregnancy is another challenge. Gender violence is a huge thing as well. And uh, also the, the lack of uh, facilities, of institutions for child care. That's another challenge. And those are recommendations by the OECD to Mexico to really uh, promote affirmative actions and do something very concrete and uh, in in terms of education and in the education reform that was passed two years ago in Mexico as part of the structural reforms that were passed by the government one is to uh, set up um, um, programs and policies so children go to school in early stages so this is something that it's very very positive for for women and also to to increase the number of institutions for childcare there's a policy oriented uh, toward the uh, preventing teens for getting pregnant pregnant because this is a huge problem mm -hmm. as well and i know that you have a similar program right in 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 south africa or in african countries teens pregnancy it's it's huge the other thing is stereotypes stereotypes that women do not tend, for instance, to go into career, men career, <laughs> not traditionally men careers, such as engineering, mathematics, uh, technology, sciences, no? So the STEM, which is the science technology, uh, is, a, is a priority now in Mexico. In Mexico, everybody is really promoting girls to think out of the box and say, yes, I can, I can go into engineering. And the numbers are growing. But it's, again, affirmative action, again, uh, campaigns, again, scholarships, focusing on girls, focusing on girls. That's a target audience, no? And something which I thought was, was quite unique uh, and creative, I understand that, you know, I think it was sort of the, the 60s, 70s, maybe 80s, where Mexico was, was suffering from an overpopulation mm -hmm. and how to try to educate the population from looking at contraception mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to reduce fertility rates. And then they had the introduction of the telenovelas. Yes. And I thought that was so fantastic of coming inside 
people's homes, talking in a language which people can relate to, part of the storyline, and making them consider or reconsider their own practices. And I believe that had a tremendous impact, impact on, yes. on levels. Yes, you're right. It's a, that's a, yeah. You you remind me about this. Yes, yes. In, in fact, it, it it have an impact, a consequence, and and, and it's like very friendly language and uh, very passive like, in a uh, way. Yes, passive. Be, and, and you touch a very important point regarding communications. How important are communications? How important is the internet? How important is all this? Uh, the role of communications vis-a-vis -vis women is, is key, really, mm. really key to play a constructive role in that regard because this is the way they really, I mean, girls and women are inspired through communications and through uh, sending this message of, yes, you can feel, believe in yourself. Yes, you can. You can do that. So it's it's very inspirational and yeah you're right you remind me of uh, a, a good practice that <laughs> probably it was not created for that purpose in particular that but it impacted uh, positively there. it worked it worked yes exactly <laughs> and I think you know when when something works it's it's worth mining it's worth that it, yeah. opportunity you've mentioned education and I consider that to be a, a key skill and resource to contribute to, to women's empowerment. And as we open the conversation, you, you shared your facets of, of education, doing your master's in African studies, and I believe your doctorate studies were in sociology. Mm -hmm. You've also shown how you've done this sort of 360 with your your education to to come into South Africa um, after starting and doing your thesis in it, can you share with us some of your views on education as a tool in the hands of of women not only to transform their own lives, but also their children? Yes, education is definitely the key, the key for every single thing. Really, to 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 uh, to, to access education, to promote education. And in particular, in the family, in the household, that is key. I have two two sons; you know, they are grown up, and really, I, I I know they for them it's natural, it's the normal thing. Why are you are you questioning me about being a woman? What is the difference? Or and they really don't get don't get it. They don't feel part of that generation in which they are, in which they are. Um, questioning my role. I mean, they are used to. It's the it's a normal thing. It's a natural thing. So this is key. I mean, in the household, education, role models. But if it cannot happen, to educate your your sons, <laughs> boys, we have to educate them really in this um, in this culture, in this equality a non-discriminatory uh, culture. And it starts from day one, doesn't it? From day one, absolutely. They they watch you, no, you behave, but it's not you, it's not easy usually. I mean, my case is not their case like uh, like uh, the the common thing, no? It's not the common still. It will become a common thing. Hopefully, yes. But now it's not that common. So for some women it's really challenging. Because it's too, I mean, it's a fight, no, usually, or sometimes, a fight with, with the partner or the husband uh, regarding the role of women. So It could be even family, this, this debate the and the conflict of, 
your mother didn't do this or your exactly. grandmother didn't do this. The roles. And yes. it's a it's a conflict that one experiences trying to break away from the old and invest in the new. Exactly. Exactly. So education is definitely key. At school, yes. Access, yes. But in the household. In the I, household. I, I, <laughs> yes. That's really a priority. Today, we're talking to the ambassador of Mexico, Ms. Ana Luisa Fajir. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ambassador, turning more towards a personal perspective, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on the show who really made tremendous achievements in their respective disciplines is about some of the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. So some people speak about... uh, a particular figure in their lives or perseverance. Um, I I vividly recall one conversation where uh, it was one of our our famous singers, Rebecca Molepe, and she said the fear of being poor Mm. was one of the things Mm -hmm. that that drove her, which I hadn't heard before. So if you can Mm. tell us, in your experience, what, what do you think have been some of the key factors for you? I would say my grandmothers, both the my father's mother and my mother's mother. They were such strong women. They were warriors, really warriors. And my mother as well. And the uh, female factor in my family has played a big role. I have uh, aunts uh, who have been... Uh, very, uh, who have been very important in my life. They took care of me when my mother and father were uh, traveling, and I, it's really a, the the female factor in my family is so so strong. So I got that inspiration from them. I remember my grandmother. Uh, she she's uh, she has Lebanese origin. She's from uh, Lebanese uh, family. And she obviously knows about trade no? <laughs> and commercial affairs. So she uh, created her own bazaar and her house and sold things. And she didn't care. I mean, she really was so self-confident that she, you know, opened up the door of her house. And everybody was, you know, coming and buying things. Like this perseverance, this spirit of... Uh, like um, hard workers, they are hard workers. And also the idea of coming from a migrant family. This is also something that, that has really been um, an important factor in my life. Why? Because they, well, I'm second generation Lebanese in Mexico. My grandfather migrated from Lebanon and arrived to Mexico in 1920. And I think that I have it in the bluff, really, like this uh, spirit of exploring things and I'm a hard worker and yes everything is kind of difficult sometimes but you are gonna get there and and I have this feeling that yes it took me a while and it took a lot of effort from my my um, from my side in terms of studying uh, uh, preparing myself perseverance definitely hard working hard working and one thing that I think it acts um, on the opposite side is this uh, the, the self out, uh, self-esteem. This is something that uh, for me it was like a, <laughs> a challenge. I didn't feel I could 
sometimes I could do s some things that I was, I was obliged to, to prove the other that I could do that. That sensation, like it was an impulse, a positive impulse, but it's always feeling that uh, this perception that mm, it takes it takes a, a lot of effort to get there. So I would suggest, <laughs> really, other women do to trust themselves, to believe in themselves and say, yes, I can do that. I will do that. And put aside the anxiety that it causes because that's a, an, quite a, an enemy, no, in terms of uh, like um, to feel like this, uh, uh, getting rid of this myth that uh, you have to do it all. No, you know, to, 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 to step aside of that myth that because it's burning. I mean, you, you burned out in that effort. So this is something that well, it has been my experience in any case. No, my role models. Yes. But this, uh, idea of if it's hard because I'm a woman, it's hard because I'm a woman. And I was not aware of being a woman is hard. I was not really aware of that. I think because you are a woman, and that's part <laughs> yes. of the thing that, but this is who I am. Who I am, <laughs> yeah. But in my atmosphere, the atmosphere I grew up in, in I didn't feel it was a, a challenge. Later, I found out that it obviously was a challenge, but later in my career. Which is a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. Because yes. you'd built the, the confidence, the self-esteem, exactly. self and, and you, you knew where you were going to go. Yes. Can you share a few moments that were pivotal in your life growing up? Mm, I was, I would say my 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 graduation in primary school. Like uh, I remember very well, like going to quite another school. I was growing up, and I wanted to study abroad. That was at twelve years old. I had very clearly the idea that I had to fight to to go abroad, study abroad, learn languages, for instance. At 12 years old, I was aware of the, my need to, uh, to, to discover the world and to discover through languages the world. So I was studying French, English, and then Swahili afterwards, like language. Uh, it's a very important part of my career, communication, exactly. But at 12 years old, it was like a, a particular moment when I really knew that I wanted to, to go out there to the world and discover. No? France was a target at that time. I remember that because French, I love French, so France was like a target. So this, this was a, a very important time in my life. Obviously, when I when my son, my first son was born and then my second son, those were very, very important moments in my life, definitely. Uh, when I became, when I uh, was promoted uh, as an ambassador, this was really a feeling of, yes, I could do that. I'm, I'm now an ambassador to South Africa. It's amazing. So it's like a... Uh, very briefly, like uh, some mm. very important moments. I'm, I'm an ambassador. I have the rank. I followed all the career. I became the minister, which is the last rank that you have to go through exams. But you have to write a lot of papers, essays, and be before a jury to defend your papers. And uh, I was promoted in, in October, last October, and it took me 
only six months to become an ambassador. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And lastly, as we close out the show today, could you please share a few words of wisdom, inspiration or encouragement that you'd like to pass on to the young woman or older woman that are listening to us today? Sure. Well, I would, I, I would say sit at the table. Don't sit in the chairs that are behind the table, but sit at the table and be part of the decision making. Trust yourself. Be ambitious. Go for it. And really, we have to, to, I mean, to, to, to get rid of anxiety. Really, anxiety is a, is, is a challenge and it's, uh, it's not the, 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 the best thing. It's like the, the, the belief in, I will do this. I will get there with less anxiety less anxiety, more security in yourself and sit at the table. I love that. Sit at the table. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show, hearing your views and we truly wish you all the very, very best in your new portfolio, not only in South Africa, but also the myriad of other countries that you're responsible for. Thank you so much for for the invitation. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. And we have been talking to the ambassador of Mexico to South Africa, Angola, Botswana, Namibia, Malawi, Lesotho, Swaziland, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Madagascar, Mauritius and Zambia, Ms. Ana Luisa Fajir.